HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Visit Ithaca. Ithaca, New York boasts an authentic craft beverage experience, tasty farm-to-table culinary adventures, and scenic outdoor recreation among 150 waterfalls. Plan your trip today with help from visitithaca.com. Hey, this is Hannah, HRN's program manager. It's HRN's 10th anniversary and now our summer fun drive. So show your support for independent, revolutionary, entertaining food radio by becoming a monthly recurring donor. HRN is powered by a passionate community of thoughtful eaters, and we need each and every one of you to show your support so that we can keep bringing you your favorite food podcasts. It takes a village, and every dollar donated, every listener tuning in is essential to our continued success. So set up a donation for $10 every month. You'll show us that you want to be a part of a bright future for HRN. And you'll get one of our brand new limited edition Pizza Pocket t-shirts. So snag your new favorite tea and show us some love, all for the price of about two fancy lattes each month. Go to heritageradionetwork.org slash donate today. And thank you. Hello and welcome to Snacky Tunes. I am one half your host, Darren Bresnitz. This week, we are so excited to bring to you two of our favorite things in the world, pizza and pup. First up, we have Daniele Uditi from Pizzana, who talks about him coming to America, learning English, opening this pizza place, and his general takeover of the West Side Pizza Dome. He has a new spot opening up in WeHo, and we are so excited that he gave us some time to sit down and share his insights on the art of dough. Next up in the show, we have Steve from Pup, who are currently on tour supporting their new album and probably my personal favorite album of the year, Morbid Stuff. We talk about life on the road, cooking at home, and what the band loves to drink before and after a show. So sit back, relax, and enjoy Pizza and Pup on Snacky Tunes on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We talk about food, we talk about music, with musical
Hello and welcome to Snacky Tunes. I am one half your host, Darren Bresnitz. We are with Daniele Uditi. There you go. Master Pizzaiola at Pizzana in Brentwood. Yeah, you're actually the first guy that pronounced my name correctly. I mean, that's probably the first time I've ever pronounced a name correctly in the entire history of this show. <laughs> that's awesome. But I was the most nervous about it. Um, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Uh, originally born in Naples, mm-hmm. into a family full of chefs, cooks, bakers, things like that. Yeah. What was your earliest food memory? Well, my early food memory was my auntie mixing the bread and all the beautiful flour hanging around uh, in the air and me taking a shower under it. So uh, that's a happy memory for me. So so always under the table, always in the kitchen, always hanging out. Always uh, for the next snack, you know, snacking the snack, uh, the next snack, uh, snack. I mean, the best snacks were always the little bits. That's always my favorite thing to be in the kitchen oh. and pick at the the dough or the meat or the sauce. But even like even the raw dough for me was oh, yeah. a really delicious snack. So my auntie had the leftovers, and then with the leftover we we will make something. We we with the leftover we will make something that is called fresella, which is a round donuts made from mm. bread, cook at lower temperature in the oven, and then putting beautiful mortadella with a hot warm bread. That's the best breakfast ever. I mean, it's your mom was a chef, mm-hmm. and the whole family cooks. Did you take it for granted, or did you just think everyone grew up like that? You know, when everyone's involved in the kitchen and it's not just one person, when did food start to really come into your perception as something that was a big part of your life? Well, I always helped around my family. You know, I told you my first memory was a nine uh, years old yeah. and uh, helping out my auntie. Even uh, if for me was uh, a game, you know, was uh, playing with the dough, all my hands were sticky with the water and flour. Uh, but then it started to be like, um, uh, like something that you do every day. Like for you waking up in the morning and walking, for me it's waking up in the morning, walking, go mix the dough. So it wasn't something that I like... Uh, uh, for me, was the the life it was natural, so I never I never questioned it. So, did your friends cook? I mean, were you the outlier, or did everyone that you know when you grew up? Yeah, you know, I mean, I'm sure you played football. I'm sure you're out running yeah. around with school, but. Were you the only one in the kitchen, or was everyone else sort of pitching in where you grew up? Well, I was the I, I was the guy that cooked it. Like I was the guy that wake up in early in the morning before I go to school, help my auntie mix the dough, and then after that we go to school. We wake up really early in the morning, around three four a.m. And, and then going to school, sometimes fell asleep on the books. Uh, by the way, that, that's why I never liked the school because I was always sleeping. You got in the way of baking. Yeah, it's good. Well, you know, it helped me a lot. So school is great for you. I don't want to give the wrong message. So school is great. But, you know, it's not something that I take it for granted. It wasn't my family. Everybody was doing that. I saw my friends that uh, were doing something different. But I really enjoyed staying around my mom and watching her cooking. Stay around my grandfather that was making pastries. And uh, I was always eating sweets. And I have a really good sweet tooth, by the way. But, uh, yeah, and also my auntie was making bread. Bread is what caught on my, my eyes because it was the most fun for me to make. I mean, he's a little kid in a mud of flour, uh, in a pot of uh, flour and water. Like kids these days yeah. play with slimes, you know? Oh, yeah. Same thing Bread Wolf was for me when I was a kid. I was doing Spider-Man with, uh, with the flour. <laughs> <laughs> it was great, so. Uh, you know, sometimes when parents cook or they bake or something like that, they don't always encourage their kids 
to follow them in that step because it's such a hard life. Mm -hmm. But it sounds like your parents and your whole family was really encouraging. Did they push you into that or did you, they let you choose your own direction in life? No, I can't choose my own direction, but my mom never pushed me. My auntie never pushed me. It, it was something that was, uh, it was something that was around. And actually, when I said to my mom like uh, that I wanted to be a chef, uh, she told me like, oh, take the calendar. So why you have to take the calendar? Just take the calendar, come here. Uh, you have a lot of friends, right? Yeah, 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 I do. I have a lot of time. So you know how you enjoy the time with your friend now? So if you want to become a chef, take all the red dates on the calendar and just erase them. So why in the hell am I going to do that? Because when everybody is having fun, you're in the kitchen working. So uh, that, that's something that made me think. But at the end of the day, I had a lot of friends in the kitchen too. Which yeah. was the dishwasher, as it was, the, was the guy that prepped in the morning, it was all family related. So I had a lot of fun. So I didn't really miss my childhood. I loved it. And plus, being a son of a chef, they, they give you time to go play with your, with, with your, with your friends. It was a, a little lie just to scare you out. But then. Right. And you started when you were young. You started 12 years old, right? 12 years old was my first loaf. Nine years old was my first uh, flower and water touching. Uh, yeah. With the, yeah, but my first loaf was uh, at 12 years old and starting to understand that was really a job. So that's why I recall the, the, tw the 12 years old. I mean, I know you sort of joked about it at the beginning, but it takes a lifetime to really understand dough and baking and all the properties of that. But getting such an early start, when did you feel comfortable that you were making bread that wasn't just, oh, Daniele, that's so cute. When did you start feeling that you were making actual bread that people wanted to eat? I was around 15 years old. There was, it was not like uh, my auntie, oh, look, uh, let's let's mix it together. It was uh, just she giving me orders. Okay, we had to do, we had to, we had to do 100 loaf today and you're going to do 50 of those. So it just... Bring it on. Bring it on. <laughs> Move your butt, basically. I mean, pizza now and baking now are so respected and some of the most popular restaurants and things like that in America and the world, pizza shops, baked goods, things like that. But growing up, what was pizza seen as? What was baked goods seen as uh, in Italy? What was the perception of it? Well, pizza was, uh, was something that a family go out uh, usually on the weekend to have family time and it's seen as a, uh, like the, the, the people the people food, right? It, it, it still is the people food, but uh, it evolved so much right now that you see pizza with a lot of inventive. You know, there is a chef that do pizza now and they put their own spin on it. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think right now it's a little bit more respected than it was before. Because before a pizza chef was somebody that, you know, just, okay, I just go learn how to make pizza. Uh, and now it's becoming that. Uh, that that's three of traditions like there's fourth generation of pizza chef there's fifth generation pizza chefs in Naples and uh, you know and w when I was a kid it was just me flipping pizza in the air nobody really like paying attention but when you go to eat at the restaurant oh the chef oh, the chef uh, oh, display and then uh, when you go eat the pizza oh, okay it's just a pizza but now luckily it's not considered just uh, as just a pizza because there is a study behind there is a, a history behind there is a, um, a chef that wants to tell his story like I do with my pizza so uh, it's 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 beautiful where the art of baking is right now and it's beautiful that people are start to understand how hard it is 
to wake up in the morning early and prep a tons of loaf a loaf of bread for people that in the end they're going to buy in the store you you just go in the store and you see the beautiful loaf of bread but you don't know what's behind behind there could be a family there could be a kid they, they made it I don't know here in America maybe it's uh, you don't let the, the kid works but <laughs> uh, but the the passion stayed with you. You and you actually wound up going to school, to culinary school. Um, and what I sort of love about your journey is that you've always had one foot in the traditional southern part of Italy and the uh, recipes. But what did you want to learn? What did you want to ingratiate yourself with so that when you left that part of the world, you could take it with you? Why was going to culinary school important? Well, you know, I wouldn't call it culinary, culinary school itself because I had the luck to be friend with an amazing chef. Her name is uh, Rosanna Marziale. Yeah. She has a beautiful restaurant in uh, Caserta. It's called Le Colonne. Yes, sorry. I meant more culinary school in the um, sense of going out into the world and like working in like a, oh, a, kitchen. a, a, a okay. kitchen, things like that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I, my, my thing was always curiosity. Yeah. I didn't work just as a bread maker. Yeah. Uh, I had the luck to, uh, in, the, in the little town where I grew up between Naples and uh, Caserta, uh, I had a lot of friends that are, are artisans who were making bread like my auntie, uh, who was uh, farming and uh, growing tomatoes and growing uh, uh, all beautiful vegetables, who was making mozzarella di bufala because we are, Caserta is the, um, the, the capital of the, of the mozzarella di bufala. And, you know, I had the luck to grow up with the son of these guys and uh, become friends with them, playing soccer with them. And then I was so curious behind the process of each items that I went to the field and understood how a tomato is grows. Uh, I went to work uh, for a year and a half to a caseificio where the mozzarella di bufala is made and made actually some, so I, I understand how what's the process behind. And um, I, I believe that everything that drove me is always curiosity. And that was the same thing with the kitchen. It's like, uh, okay, I, I understand how I, I understood how my family make bread. So now I want to understand how other people make it. There is a different techniques. Uh, it's something that I knew that I can learn, you know, because routine bores me. Like, uh, like doing the same thing every day. Well, the same thing, but like uh, with a spin on it. Like I can put my, 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 my fingerprint on it. So that's why... I went to see other people what they what were they were doing and try to absorb as much as possible and then try to understand what my style of cooking was. So and understanding those ingredients from being in the field, from really touching them, have you seen that make you a better chef and make the pizza you make and the bread you make the food you make better because you're literally were at the source in those farms? makes you understand where the ingredients come from, makes you understand quality and not going over processed food. Because when you see a tomato, like grow, like you grow a plant of tomato, right? It's like a baby to you. Like you see it, the changing colors from this small little tomato then hanging out with a beautiful ripe red and then you taste it, then you uh, understand with the farmer, he explained to you the all different notes of sweetness, acidity, why, is the, why this year the tomatoes taste more as acidic, why uh, does not, what was planted before. Uh, the, the, the fields and uh, the result in the produce is an amazing thing to understand because can make you understand how to treat the ingredient. If you just go at the grocery store or if you just go 
just order like a lot of chef does, you know, just by the phone and all the products come to you, but not knowing who's behind, I think it's a little bit of a cold relationship. I prefer go meet the farmers and uh, ask them their, their history, like uh, why this produce that they want to sell to you is so special. And they will give you all the love about the produce. And that thing, to me, is the most beautiful thing you can do as a chef. Then you go back to your restaurant, you think about all that and makes you do a recipe, but treat the ingredient with respect. Even if you transform it a little bit, still maintaining the integrity of what the farmer did, you know, and that's nothing more beautiful than that to me. I love it. So beautiful. We're going to take a quick musical break. That's great. Uh, we're going to play a song from the archives, and then we're going to come back to listening to Snacky Tunes on HeritageRadioNetwork.org.
Hello and welcome back to Snacky Tunes. I am one half your host, Darren Presnitz. We are with Daniele Uditi. Crushing it, dude. Love at it. Tizana in Brentwood. Love it. So, in 2010, if you were to tell me all the cities in America that you thought had good Italian food, I would probably maybe roll my eyes or laugh at Los Angeles. Only because that was not the food that was coming out of there then, you know? Mm -hmm. But you moved to this city yeah. in 2010, and now I would say there's incredible Italian food going on. There but is. back then, not so much. So what does a guy who is in love with Italian food, who understands it, understands the cuisine, the ingredients that, what makes a guy like that decide, <laughs> decide to move to the West Coast? Well, you know, uh, I had, uh, like, uh, I, I had a really bad uh, episode in my family. So my mom passed away uh, Sorry to at hear 2000, that. Uh, 2009. And, uh, you know, after working a year and grow, like, uh, living in the same house where I grew up with her, I couldn't take it anymore. I just, you know what, I, I'm gonna, it was a, the restaurant where I was working in, uh, in Italy, uh, the owner had a friend here that was going to open up a, a restaurant and wanted me to consult. You know, uh, I just said, you know, screw it, I'm gonna do it, let's go. So it was uh, a decision made out of uh, wanting to change. So that's why it wasn't like, uh, oh, I planned to go in Los Angeles. Like, it was this opportunity, I took it, and then I came here. And uh, it, was, it was like a love at first sight. I loved the, the, the weather, I loved, the, I loved that I was close to the sea, so I don't miss that much Naples. So, yeah, the, the beginning wasn't easy, like uh, everybody. I didn't speak one word of English. Nothing, only the bad words, but uh, <laughs> and maybe good morning and good night. But and yeah, but then I met beautiful people. I started to work in the restaurant and <clears throat> got a couple of good review. And uh, where were you working? Uh, it was a restaurant. I forgot the names. It was a restaurant on Twenty Sixth Street, San Vicente, uh, close to here. And uh, it was ten years ago. Give me a break. I'm giving you a break. <laughs> I give you a break. I just didn't know if you wanted to shout them out or. No, no, I, I, I would love that, but I, I really right now you can, I have like a mind uh, blank. Um, yeah, and you know we had a beautiful review about the pizza and uh, start a lot of celebrities start to come to the restaurant. Uh, one of these celebrities was Chris O'Donnell, and he loved the pizza so much they wanted to meet me, and then after like ten minutes of conversation, the only thing I understood was uh, teaching me pizza. And right. then I understood that he had the oven at home, and we we just started to do the dough together and uh, stretching, and, and that's mean, it goes. Yeah, and I mean the pizza scene back in Los Angeles in 2010 is not what it is today. No. So people must have lost their minds when they were eating your pizza. Well, at the beginning, at the beginning was I was making traditional Neapolitan pizza because that's what the the, the owner of the place asked me to do. And I didn't got them many good uh, review because pizza here was uh, a different a different thing. It was I like didn't understand. But true. But I I wasn't I wasn't aware of how many style of pizza America has. So like there is New York, Detroit, uh, New Haven, Chicago, uh, and Chicago has two style mm -hmm. as deep dish, and then the thin and crispy uh, Chicago style is cut in square. So I had to 
study all this kind of stuff, go eat around and see why the pizza is uh, sometimes is not being accepted because it's wet. Neapolitan pizza for people here is uh, wet or to use a, a nice word, juicy, right? So I had to reinvent, not reinvent myself, I had to go back to my route and uh, do what I was doing with my auntie, that which with the leftover of the bread, we were, we, we, we were flattening it out, put toppings and cooking in the oven that was a lower temperature and become more crispy. So and it was more shareable, more enjoyable. And I actually like it because it's my childhood. It's my childhood pizza. That's what we do here at Pizzana. It's a pizza is cooked longer and is can be shared. The ingredients don't fall off the crust. And to me, it's close to my heart. So, so people start responding to the pizza that you have brought back from your childhood. Yes. Um, did you find that? in carrying on the tradition of your family and in some ways honoring your mother and your aunt and things like that, that it made you just want to go out and just share the pizza with as many people as possible and that you want to go and do your own thing? Well, you know, uh, it, it can't move on, move on its own because thanks to, thanks to Chris, he was doing a private party at his house and then he helped, he helped me grow a little business out of it. Like I, I was doing caterings for all his friends and uh, people seem to like a lot this product and that made me proud because it was something that told my story as a kid and tell my mom's story, my auntie's story. So I was really proud of doing it. And then I met Candace and Charles from the Sprinkles Cupcakes and they were like so in love with the pizza that we had a meeting and said we want to do a restaurant with you and I said yes please yes please I want to do it you know, like let's let's do this so. so how does that conversation go or how does the the trajectory go from having a sit down with these people to the restaurant we're sitting in right now well it was two year process it was researching of all the ingredients the best of California the best of uh, of Italy the uh, southern Italy and also there is a whole business side behind that I didn't know and you know I'm, I'm learning right now thanks to them but doing a menu for Pizzana was two-year process everything that even if it seemed it seems simple like a margarita pizza there was a lot of thoughts behind what kind of cheese we're gonna use what kind of flour we're gonna use what kind of tomatoes we're gonna use we have uh, we have our own little uh, fields in uh, San Marzano the plant tomato just for us we have uh, Fior di Latte from Agerola which is a town uh, in the mountain of uh, uh, Naples uh, that makes explicitly that kind of cheese that is beautiful for pizza because it's not super wet and it doesn't wet your pizza uh, the olive oil that goes on it and the, the flour everything was researched and tested for two years the, all menu wise the, the 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 caprese the burrata come from uh, from andrea and uh, it's the place where the burrata was born and i knew i met personally each person that makes the the, the ingredients for us in italy and the same guy that makes the produce in la i go to the farmer's market and santa Moni farmer's market and i know personally each farmer so i have a lot of friends now that's good a lot of friends so it seems like your experience of going back into the fields when you were sort of coming up as a chef is now directly impacting your experience here at Pizzana 100%. and the food that you're making. What parallels have you found between the farmers of Italy and then the farmers of Los Angeles and Southern California? Only the language. They have the same love. Yeah? They have the same love, the same passion, the same drive to give people such a good and a high quality product 
that like made me made me feel at home. Luckily, I learned how to speak a little bit of English, not that much. You speak so, great English. Thank you, appreciate it. But uh, so I can understand really, really good what they mean when they talk to me. And that, that, that's beautiful to me. In this summer, I'm going to visit a friend of mine that has a field of tomatoes here in uh, in in in, uh, in California. So I want I want to see what people are doing here. And there is this huge movement of food in Los Angeles. It was about time to me because we have the best produce all year round. And I think it's time that Los Angeles steps up to be one of the food uh, capital. Like, because we, we can, we can. It's true. The journey of LA's food scene over the last, I would say, nine, ten years, which you've yeah. been here, has been absolutely amazing to watch. And to be a part of it, you must see a lot of changes uh, for good and for bad and things like that, but mostly good. But how do you balance what you love and the tradition, the thing that, that you grew up with, versus the changing Los Angeles scene? Or is it something where you say, let's look backwards, let's look at a little bit more tradition and marry it with a little bit of the modern California cuisine to make it really a destination dining city? Yeah, I think it's better is the best answer in your question with uh, this little preview. It's like tradition and innovation, right? To me, tradition and innovation is like a chain that goes, uh, that goes like it's a loop, right? Before to be, I give you the example of the margarita pizza. Before the mar- to be the margarita pizza, in Naples, there was a pizza without the cheese, right? But somebody had to invent it. So at the time, was tra- was innovation, right? And then with the year became tradition. So it's good to respect those things, but it's also good to try and explore more stuff. Like uh, I, I on the menu at Pizzana, I have uh, my version of margarita. It's called Neo Margarita. Basically, the same ingredient, just treated in a li- little different way. The basil become a dust on top of the pizza, so you can have the infusion of basil in each bite. The San Marzano, the tomatoes are reduced to a, almost a pulp because I want the explosion of tomatoes in your mouth. And the base is just cheese, but basically it's the same ingredient, just treated in a, in a different way. And that to me is innovation, but also respecting the tradition because I didn't change that much the ingredient. I just changed the shape, the, the form. And how do people from Naples react to that? Initially, I was like, uh, the, 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 I don't want to say the trader, but you know, that they were a little bit like, um, uh, not rooting against me, but you know, they were a little, are you say snorting their, their nose? Like, uh, uh, yeah, uh, turning their nose up. Yeah, turning their nose up is what this kid is doing. Uh, pizza shouldn't be crispy. Pizza enables is uh, soft as a pillow. It's really airy. One pizza is airy too, but I like texture. So, and I want to tell my personal history. So there's nothing for me that uh, they can stop to, to tell my history on uh, on the pizza. So I will keep uh, try to innovate, I will tr- keep try to do a new recipe, and I will keep respecting what the farmers do with the ingredients, so. I mean, respect seems to be what's been driving you your entire life in the kitchen. It's just the respect for the ingredients, respect for knowledge, respect for curiosity. Yeah. And I think as long as you have that, people can't be that upset about what you're doing. Well, you know, I, I like to think about it, uh, the, one of the best chefs in the world, like, uh, like uh, Massimo, Massimo Bottura. I've heard of him. Well, yeah, yeah. but he was doing uh, a lot of new things 
in uh, in back in his town at the first people were like uh, what is he doing this is not uh, traditional uh, cuisine uh, this is crazy and then now he's one of the most renowned chefs uh, all 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 around the world so that for me is a that for me is an example on doesn't matter what initially people think but if you know that you're doing something that you love uh, you know that you're doing something that makes you happy and that can make people happy just go for it just do it so in addition to Brentwood the location you're actually opening up another pizza due to its incredible success in WeHo. Yes. So how do you decide to split your time between two restaurants? How do you build a second restaurant? How do you get another oven in a new restaurant? It's true. Well, uh, how you get another oven in the restaurant is uh, putting down the walls and just, you know, the, 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 the oven that we do, going back to the artisanal part, is made by Stefano Ferrara and is an artisan in Naples. He do the oven by hand. There's no machine involved. The same thing that we do at Pizzana, the dough is made by hand, there's no machine involved, and still doing it with uh, WeO2. I don't care about the quantities, I will still put my artisanal touch in it. But um, yeah, uh, it's my time will be split basically in the beginning and one location where we prepare all the ingredients, and then from there I can check the quality. So I can taste stuff, I can prep with the uh, my colleagues, I don't like to call my employees because I work with them and uh, I have a beautiful time. And um, yeah, my colleagues and uh, we can uh, control quality in one in one spot. And then from there, I will do lunch somewhere, dinner somewhere else, and try to make sure that everybody's doing what uh, what we love, you know. Because all the people that works here, the reason why they are with me for a long time is most of the people. Uh, they work with me, they work from since day one that I put foot in this country. They have my chef here uh, at Brentwood, he worked with me from nine years. Wow. The one that is going over there, same thing. Amazing. So I asked them, so why you guys follow, follow me so much? You, you, you're not getting tired of me? I said, no, because uh, otherwise who's going to bother you? <laughs> <laughs> but that's true. So we have fun and uh, they love uh, they love what we do here. They love pizza, and I think one of the reasons because they can get a free pizza, but it's fine. <laughs> it, so you know, it's just love all around. Now, to me, it's the key. It's what my family taught me, and that's what I want to teach people that work with me. Amazing. Well, congratulations on everything. If people want to find you online or find updates about the opening for the new location, where can they go? Well, they can go on uh, pizzana.com and uh, also visiting our Instagram, Pizzana LA at Pizzana LA on Instagram. We, we will do stories every day and we will keep you guys updated. We can't wait to be in West Hollywood and to feed you all. I We did a couple of pop-ups in West Hollywood and uh, there was so much love that I can't thank you guys enough. And I can't wait to feed you all. Amazing. Well, thank you so much. Thank you, guys. Grazie. Thank you. Uh, we have another song from the archives and then a live performance on Snacky Tunes here on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I got 
something growing out my neck. You see, I'm ahead. Looking up, raised, it's cracked and dry. And it's not so perfect, and it's not so perfect on the, on the other side. When I look at you, it's like you're staring back at me. Brought to you by Visit Ithaca. Located in New York's Finger Lakes region, Ithaca boasts an authentic craft beverage experience, tasty farm-to-table culinary adventures, and scenic outdoor recreation. As the saying goes, Ithaca is gorgeous. The city is home to 150 waterfalls and gorges sprinkled through its downtown and sloping hillsides. State parks and acres of natural lands offer outdoor recreation for every level of enthusiast. Come stroll among the cool ravines, scenic hiking trails, and natural vistas. Ithaca is home to Ivy League Cornell University and Ithaca College, resulting in an influx of new cultures, new tastes, and new energy every year. There's so much to explore, from art galleries and museums to unique attractions like the Cornell Lab of Ornithology. Ithaca sits at the heart of a blossoming heritage and craft cider industry, Some of these delicious ciders can be bought in market, 
but many of the most unique varieties can only be experienced with a visit to Ithaca and this great cider region. Go to visitithaca.com to get inspired and plan your trip today. Are you enjoying this show? Heritage Radio Network has plenty more. I'm Luke Griffin, and I'm the host of Bushwick Podcast. Each week, we share the remarkable stories of how artists, activists, and entrepreneurs collide in Bushwick, a special Brooklyn neighborhood that's changing faster by the day. You can find Bushwick Podcast wherever you get your podcasts and on heritageradionetwork.org. Hello, and welcome to Snacky Tunes. We are with Steve Sarkowski, guitarist of pop. Welcome to, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah, uh, big fan. Congratulations on the third album, Morbid Stuff. It's been on heavy rotation with us. And uh, you guys are out, you said you were in Boise, I believe, correct? Yes, we are. I am, I am currently on a, a balcony of a, of a hotel staring at uh, the foothills um, in Boise. So, you know, you guys have been one of those most notorious road dogs touring uh, ever since you got together as a band over the last, I would say, five-plus years. And I have got yeah. to imagine that as you found more success and as, as the tours have gotten bigger, also your approach to traveling and also eating on the road has changed. So can you talk a little bit about how you guys used to eat when you got started and what you guys are now doing for meals on the road? Yeah. Um, obviously, when you start out and you pile into a van, you know, four, four people doing it on absolutely no money, um, eating a lot of fast food, eating not very... Nothing against fast food. I love it. Uh, but... You know, it's hard to eat all the time, um, uh, you know, and, and, you know, probably consuming more alcohol um, than uh, is, is super healthy because you're sleeping on a lot of floors, um, um, you know, and, and a lot of that, a lot of, a lot of, early on it was a lot of McDonald's, a lot of Tim Hortons, the Canadian chain. Shout out to um, Tim Hortons. Shout out to Tim Hortons. Um, you know, a, a lot of trying to, you know, scrape by on too much, not enough money and too much shitty food. Um, and now, you know, it's it's a little bit it's a little bit better uh, as we've been able to kind of find a little more success and pay ourselves more. There's a little more, um, a little more. <laughs> Health and, and, and space and ability, yeah, to just sort of uh, um, find good, better restaurants and, and be able to, you know, it's still, uh, I'm not, we're not going out for Michelin-rated meals every night or anything, but, um, um, yeah, one of the things that, that, the nice thing about, you know, we're increasingly uh, uh, starting to, to see tour buses as a viable option, but even when we're in, um, even when we're in a van, um, being able to kind of, uh, find a restaurant near the venue or, or near, you know, a, a, some, a local recommendation. Um, it both kind of allows you to, to have some time to, to break up um, the kind of day-to-day routines of touring. Um, and also uh, is a nice way to kind of treat yourself and reward yourself. Um, so, you know, we tra- yesterday we found, in Boise, we found a, uh, 
uh, uh, Basque uh, um, uh, restaurant that like had a lot of recipes from the Basque region of, of Spain. Wow. I met Rapalais there and just, you know, hung out and, and had beer and, and ate, you know, chorizo sandwiches and garlic side mushrooms and, um, um, you know, and that sort of thing. And it was like, to me now, it's it, it, even when we're able to do that, spending, the, you know, the 20 to $25 um, on a meal like that, not all the time, but, but every once in a while as a way to sort of, you know, food and restaurants are one of the main ways in which you experience the cities that you're in. And so to be able to, A, be traveling so, so much, and B, be at a place where, you know, we can, we can find, a, uh, find a restaurant that, that everyone feels uh, cool going to, and, and it's just not, um, you know, it's not a Chili's. It's not, it's not a, uh, not, and again, no disrespect. Like I said, I love, Absolutely. I'm literally wearing, I'm wearing a Doughboy t-shirt right now. Like, you know, I, I, uh, I don't know. It's, it's just like, it's, it's lucky. It's one of my favorite things to do. I have like open running notes on my phone for every city with food recommendations and cultural recommendations and shopping recommendations that I've just sort of amassed over the years that I go back and cross off the list. Um, and that's such like a, a cool way to get to know a place. Do you have any places that you hit religiously when you go back to certain cities or restaurants or just sites that you look forward to when you go on tour knowing that you're going to be in, you know, Dublin or Sheboygan or, you know, Athens or something like that. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely. What I've yeah, there's some favorites for sure. Um, there, you know, like one of the places we go a lot, um, there's a ramen place in London, England um, called Bone Daddy's, which is just like, does like a real rich, like bone broth ramen that's just like, I don't know that I've ever been able to finish it, but I can't not <laughs> order it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Um, you know, stuff like that. And then um, that, that's where, I think that's where fast food sometimes becomes a little bit more exciting. When you're not eating it all the time, you're like, you know, we landed in LA for those shows. Um, and the first meal we had after leaving LAX was Del Taco. So we were just like, we gotta do it. Gotta do we're it. Gotta do Del Taco. Yeah. Um, you know, but, but like in a city like Los Angeles, I mean, it, it, it almost feels like, it almost feels wrong to want to go revisit places. You know what I mean? Like, no, I know there are so many, there's so, there's so many options in, and, and, and a lot of the cities that we're, we get to play in, um, you know, it's our third, fourth, fifth, sixth time, 10th time, whatever the case may be. And, um, we're still discovering new, new restaurants. So, so I try and, I try and not fall into that too, too much, not only because it, it, there's just so much to do, but like, you know, how do you not want to have barbecue in Austin? How do you I not want to, you know? So it's, 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 it's a constant thing, but we, we definitely try and find out at least what a couple of the like local specialties are. You know, we always get Chicago dogs or in Chicago. Have to. Have to. Um, yeah. So um, do you have any, yeah, any, no, I was going to say, uh, you know, when you're grabbing these foods and when you're in these tour bus and things like that, um, do you have any stuff that's banned from 
tour bus, because I know, or from the van, because I know that uh, people get particular about what they eat, but also you're in close quarters, you know. So is there anything that's just like a no-go when you're eating? Um, no, I think generally we, uh, you know, we, we actually budget time in a way to kind of like make sure that if we're going to, even if we're like stopping to get like McDoubles or something, whatever the case may be, um, that we have a, a bit of time just to kind of like, even if it's just to stand in the McDonald's and eat the, <laughs> eat the hamburger, <laughs> uh, that like being able to get out of the van so that it is, you're not in those close quarters as much as possible. Yeah. Um, it kind of is, is really, really helpful. And then with the bus, I mean, one of the great things about the bus is you kind of wake up in the next city. You know what I mean? Because all the right. drives happen overnight. And so the first thing you do for breakfast or for coffee or whatever is you're looking up a local coffee shop. So it's, it's wow. automatically taking you out of the bus, um, you know, like, and, and, and just to then be able to have the, the privilege to be like, oh, I can go and support, like, a local. I don't have to just find the McDonald's or the Starbucks because we're pulling off the highway for 20 minutes, 10 minutes, whatever the case may be. Um, you actually, you know, it forces you to go out and explore and to kind of get an idea of, of a city. Um, so, yeah, we try and... We try and um, Use, use food, food and coffee stops as, as you know, ways to kind of stretch out and, and, and chill and not just all be on top of each other. Do you have any good food memories or any funny food stories that you remember from being on the road from either, you know, the oh, recent tour from the early days? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> the, the last time we were out here, uh, going through this part of, uh, of the United States um, was the only time I've ever had food poisoning on tour. Um, and I ate like a, re- we got, we were driving from Salt Lake to Denver. Um, and we, uh, we had a freak blizzard. Like at, like an out of nowhere whiteout snow squall um, that shut down the interstate from Salt Lake to Denver. Um, so we pulled off in Rollins, Wyoming, I think it was, and uh, I ate a Reuben that's like twenty four hour diner. I just, I mean, you just saying it out loud makes you. Yeah, just saying it out loud, you go. What, you can find sushi in a gas station that you want to roll the dice with? Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, and spent, you know, an entire, uh, I spent an entire evening regretting my decision. Let's put it that way. Um, okay. And, uh, you know, that's always like a, <laughs> you, you remember those. Um, other stuff I remember, though, you know, like, um, we, a couple a couple of months ago a couple a couple of months a couple of years ago um, we were invited uh, to play in the Canary Islands in Tenerife. Uh, mm. um, we we had been doing some Spanish headline shows with some friends of ours a band called This Drama um, and they're from Tenerife and they're like look like 
come play a show in Tenerife. It'll be weird, but you get to, like, fly to an island off the coast of Africa and play a show, which, like, was so insane that we were like, when are we ever going to get this opportunity again? We're absolutely going to do this. Um, and to be eating, you know, like, tapas on a small island, it, it, uh, technically in Spain, but really closer to Africa, um, was amazing. Yeah. yeah, you know, like, and, and like finding, like, just being like, oh, like, there are really good arepas on this island. And you're like, what? How? What? Okay, yeah. sure, let's go find that place. Like, you know. Um, uh, you can really understand sort of the interconnectedness of the world when you see these foods pop up in places that you would never expect. Yeah, exactly. And it's it's like, it's such a... It's such a cool way. My my, uh, my stepdad owned restaurants and was in the restaurant business for a long time and is, you know, a pretty, like, uh, capable home cook. Um, so I, I kind of I kind of grew up appreciating that. Um, maybe a, a little bit more immediately than, than some other people might. Um, but to then be able to, to see that on kind of a macro scale with the amount of traveling that we've been doing is, uh, is fucking wild, man. Like, do you yeah. a lot? When you're at home, I try to. Yeah, 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 absolutely. As much as possible. I don't know, you know, you can't fall into like, the trap of like ordering takeout. Um, oh yeah. It's a trap. And Toronto is like, and Toronto is like a great, great takeout. City. But um, I do I do love to cook. I'm a, I love my slow cooker. Uh, I love my cast iron Dutch oven. You know. Yeah. I uh, yeah. I went like I went like pretty the last like year. I've been like, all right, I'm worth it. I deserve it. I have been just like kind of slowly upgrading my my utensils and my uh, my cookware. You know, it's uh it's some investment. I remember when I got my first like you say, uh, pan, and it just, I was like, I'm worth it, I'm going to use it, and it just changes the whole way you approach cooking at home. It makes home a different experience when you can really cook for yourself. Um, Oh, totally, man. Yeah. All right, we're going to take a quick musical break. We're going to play an old song from the archives from the Immaculates, and then we're going to come back and talk a little bit about you and the boys and cooking together. Uh, Here we go, the Immaculates on Snappy Tunes on HeritageRadioNetwork.org.
Hello and welcome back to Snacky Tunes. I am with Steve, guitarist of Pup. Right before the break, we were talking about uh, cooking at home, being in Toronto. Um, when you guys are off the road, do you get together? Do you, do you cook together? Do you guys have meals together? Or do you, are you guys on the road so much that when you're back in Toronto, you, you sort of just go into your separate corners until you, you, know, until you go back on the road again? Um, no, I, it's a little bit of both. Um, certainly, we, we give ourselves some time and some space. But, uh, you know, um, for, we are truly best friends. And, you know, um, wives and girlfriends and, and kind of extended family, as it were. Um, you know, we'll get together. We have that annual, um, an annual uh, New Year's Eve potluck. Oh. Um, that everyone everyone cooks for. We do that every year. So Jeff Rosenstock's come out in, to Toronto for a couple of times, for a couple of those. And, you know, we we invite whoever may be around, friends, and we, we do a big old potluck on that very, every New Year's Eve. What did you make for the last one? Uh, what did I make for the last one? That is a great question. Uh, I made... Oh, I made collard greens. Classic. Classic New Year's dish. Yeah. Yeah, the classic New Year's dish. Yeah, I mean, Zach, I think Zach did jerk, jerk pork. So uh, it was like, well, we'll get something to cut the spice a little bit. Um, um, yeah, and then, you know, my, my, I think I mentioned my, my stepdad used to work in restaurants. So yeah. um, my, mom, my mom and stepdad love to entertain. Um, so, you know, every, every, before we go off on a major tour, um, we'll get the whole gang together, the whole extended family, um, wives, girlfriends, you know, Dave Shipman, our producer who lives in LA has been up in Toronto for these, these dinners. And, you know, my stepdad will, will bring everyone over to the house and, and cook, um, a huge needlessly fancy dinner for everyone. Um, you know, the last one of that was, was porchetta and lasagna and various salads. Um, uh, so yeah, we try we try and do do that sort of stuff. And you know, other than that, every once in a while, like when the when the Raptors were making their run to the championship, I was hosting a lot and just oh. you know, just having having snacks and 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 beers and hanging out and yelling at the TV together. So we we find ways to to eat and to and to. Uh, what's your uh, what's your favorite? I guess now champions. Congratulations, by the way. Thank what's, you. what's your uh, favorite snacks for when you're watching? Uh, the Raptors, both I guess at home or maybe at the stadium. Mm, I, I'm a, definitely a, 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 a salty, savory guy mm. more than the sweet juice. Um, so uh, I do, I do at the stadium in in Toronto. Um, if I'm feeling if I'm feeling fancy, um, they do a really really good uh, prime rib sandwich. Ooh, with, like. With horseradish and, and grainy mustard and on an onion bun. Um, that's if I'm feeling fancy. And if not, I go footlong hot dog. I love it. Um, um, yeah. So during the run up to this last album and recording and things like that, do you guys, during the writing process, during the recording process, have any food and drink rituals? Have they evolved from the early recordings, you know, is there something that you guys have in the studio 
Because I imagine yeah. earlier days are, you know, maybe maybe a little bit more beer, and this is maybe a little bit more whiskey, if you will. It's uh, sure. It's actually been basically the same for all three <laughs> records. Um, what is it? Uh, it's um, it's a very very well stocked um, Kelly style lunch. So we always in any studio that we're working in, we will always have sandwich bread, cold cuts, cheese, various pickled things, salads, um, seltzer, um, mustards, whatever, you know, um, so that at any point, any, if anybody needs a sandwich or any, like, classic sandwich, deli sides, you know, whatever, green salad, potato salad, pickles, chips, that is, all, has all, is always available. <laughs> you know, apples, whatever. Um, Love it. Granola bars. Um, there was a blender. We brought a fruit ninja, so we did a lot of smoothies. Oh, mm-hmm. yes, um, And then, you know, uh, I, I mentioned, you know, we were lucky to do the last two records at home in Toronto. Um, and there's really, really great takeout. Uh, the Caribbean food in Toronto is like the, the kind of shining star, in my opinion. Um... And uh, and there was a jerk chicken spot, that, that, like a super famous Toronto jerk chicken spot around the corner from the studio. So when deli sandwiches felt like, uh, you know, I, I never want to eat a sandwich again, we would often go and, and get jerk chicken um, uh, just to, you know. And, and the jerk chicken you do in Toronto, look, you'll, get, you'll get jerk chicken on, on a bed of rice and peas with coleslaw on the side and fried plantain and a ting grapefruit soda, I mean, that's just like, that to me, uh, you know, <laughs> I'm certainly not Caribbean, uh, but to me that's like one of the most quintessential Toronto takeout restaurant experiences um, is, is a jerk chicken meal. Oh, it's making me hungry right now, man. I know, it sounds, it sounds very, very good. Um, so I would be remiss if I probably didn't mention your most famous, I won't even call it food, but your drink lyric of Hawaiian red fruit punch. And <laughs> I wanted to see if that is a drink of choice of the band or if that is something you threw in there because it was a good play on words. That's actually, that is actually the, the full circle manifestation of an inside joke. Um, when we first, uh, do you remember the band Chumps? Yes, of course. Um, so, we did a tour with Chumps like a long, long time ago, like four plus years ago, five years ago maybe now. Um, I was kind of through like the East Coast and, and through sort of the central United States. Um, and it was right, it was right, right as we were kind of road testing DVP. Um, and we, we would play it every night. And the response was pretty good for, like, a new song. You know, you're road testing something, whatever. Sure. But the, the people from Chumps, Anika especially, um, Anika, who, who is an amazing singer-songwriter and is still out there absolutely just kicking ass, um, um, kept her in. And do you know the photographer, Jess Flynn? Yep. Okay, so Jess Flynn is a photographer in Philly. She used to, she used to tour with bands a lot, and she's doing more kind of, like, 
just stuff in and around Philly now. Um, so she was on she was on tour with us at the time as well. Um, and the the her and, and Jess and Anika both thought the lyrics. Um, I don't even, you know, it's funny, I don't even remember what the lyric was before, but it wasn't Hawaiian Red Fruit Punch. Red Fruit Punch. Um, but it was, she says, I drink too much, something, something. Fucked up and shades my guts is the lyric now. And and we thought it was so funny that it became an inside joke of that tour. Like, she says, I drink too much, Hawaiian Red Fruit Punch. To a point where Jess and Anika got matching tour tattoos. Um, and it's the, it's the Hawaiian, it's the Hawaiian punch mascot <laughs> and, and the, the text, she says, I drink too much Hawaiian red fruit punch. And then Stefan got the last laugh. And when we were in the studio, changed the final chorus lyric to, she says, I drink too much Hawaiian red fruit punch. How could he not? Yeah. He, you got to honor that joke. Exactly. Um, and yeah. And then, and then when the record came out, I, I remember getting texts from both Justin and Nikki being like, Holy fuck. I can't believe you did that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, now yeah. it just looks like, now it just looks like they have fan tattoos. <laughs> yeah. It's like, wow, you're really dedicated pop fans. Um, yeah. you know, I know you guys sing a lot about drinking, uh, and both like the benefits and the causalities of it on the album. Sure. But you know, what do you guys, feel about drinking and like what do people maybe misconstrue about what you guys say about drinking and the importance of being young or figuring yourself out and you know that sort of young drinking culture hmm. we have a we have a saying um, in the band uh, that we attribute to Socrates but I'm not sure that Socrates actually <laughs> which is that uh, if you're drunk you're doubly responsible hmm um, uh, which kind of uh, it doesn't allow for anyone to be like, oh, well, yeah, I forgot something at the venue. I was drunk. It's like, no, if you're drunk, make sure you don't forget anything at the venue. Yeah. Um, don't use being drunk to excuse anything, which I think goes hand in hand for a lot of, uh, uh, could be said for a lot of things. Um, uh, you know, but we've all gone to shows and, and made what at the time seems like brilliant decisions with our friends uh, in terms of, oh, sure, it's Wednesday, but whatever. Eh, I can party. I can do it. Um, I'm not as capable of doing that now. Need my need my eight hours, you know? Yeah, I hear you. Can't, can't, consume, can't consume the way that I used to, but uh, that doesn't mean I, I don't, we don't still, you know, we, uh, we still enjoy beverage alcohol. Um, uh, but, you know, it's sort of at that point now where we understand when is appropriate to drink. Uh, it's very rare that any of us will be drunk on stage at this point. Um, it just is too difficult <laughs> like, <laughs> to, to actually do, to do the job properly. Um, but you know, uh, I, I, we there's there's always a bit of bourbon around, and there's always mm. a, a red wine if you need it, and and we try and and again in in terms of like local, we'll we'll try and have a 
an equal split between uh, your sort of basic beer. We love a we love a we love a high life. This is definitely a Miller High Life band. I mean, look, um, hey, during the summer, like a just above freezing high life with some bourbon all day. Love it. Beautiful, right? Um, and then we'll also ask for, for local craft beer, just to, to kind of get a sense of, yeah. Which, um, which, which, to be honest, can sometimes be something that's very palatable, and sometimes, you know, oh, this is a apricot chocolate, uh, you know, super sour, high acidic beer. Yeah. Like, this is, I appreciate it, but maybe not what I want for when I'm playing. Um, yeah, so listen, and, yeah. Um, I want no, no, to get one more question um, before you go, and that is, for everyone who's not Canadian, especially American, what is the one thing that everyone gets wrong or misunderstands about Canadian food and snacking in general? Canadian food and snacking. Oh, um, we have the best potato chip flavors on the planet. True. Like, yeah, and and I don't know. That's something I'm always like. It's gotten better in the last couple of years, but I'm always struck by like America loves having choice, but the choices for potato chips are pretty limited, all things considered. Um, and it's getting better. It's getting better, but you know, definitely. I remember. I remember touring even like six years ago, being like, there are four chip flavors. What is this? Um, uh, what else? Uh, Tim Hortons isn't actually good. Fair. <laughs> but it's, it's consistent. ubiquitous. It's yeah. consistent. Yeah. It's consistent and it's, the coffee's hot most of the time. Um, and what's the other one? Oh, uh, like, the, the, people are sleeping on, on the chain, the A&W fast food chain, which is not as good in the United States and isn't as widely available, but it's really great in Canada. Um, oh. You know, to to a point of like of like doing like beef without hormones, and like they have the Beyond Meat Burger for vegetarians and vegans, and like yeah, I don't know. Uh, other than that, uh, we're we're a snacky we're a snacky bunch. Awesome. Well, I appreciate it, Steve. Thank you so much. Congratulations on the new album. If people want to check you guys out, these four dates, follow you guys on the gram. Where can they all go? Um, yeah, everything is under the handle Pup the Band, P-U-P the Band, uh, or PupTheBand.com for tour dates. Um, yeah, we're around. Chances are we're probably somewhere near you <laughs> at some point this year. Yeah, um, well, yeah, and then uh, hopefully you swing back to L.A. in the not too distant future, and I'll be, I'll be in the back, probably not in the front, yeah. sipping a beer. That's, uh, that's okay. I want to thank so much. Thank you also for Daniele Uditi from Pizana. Uh, so excited for his new location in WeGo. We're going to close the show out with... We're going to close the show out with an old one uh, from this band called Pill, who came through the Brooklyn studios a while back. Thank you to everyone. Uh, we'll see you next time here on Snacky Tunes on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. And can I lick it?
We talk about food. We talk about music with musical dudes. Finger on the pulse, snacky tunes. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network. Food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.